If you are a multi-passionate girl boss who wants to create, write, teach, learn, connect, and take time for herself and her family and friends, you are listening to the right pod. Hi, I'm Lauren Jean, your go-to podcast resource girl and self and business development freak. I love everything related to development as well as focusing on self-confidence, letting go of control, and following your intuition. All right, let's get down to the good stuff. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Lauren Jean Show. I don't want to waste any time today because I have someone on the phone who I'm very excited. I had found her stuff just randomly scrolling through Facebook one day, and this was probably, I'm going to say over the summer of last year, and I think that's when you really got into everything that you're doing. I'm not going to say what it is just yet. I want you to do it. But your stuff is, I have to say, it's addictive, and I'm sure that's what you love. And you're just great with how you get your message out there. So I'm just going to say I have Amanda Goldman Petrie on the phone with me today from Market Like a Nerd. As you guys know, I don't really go into my guests' bios. I like them to talk about themselves because let's face it, we all love to talk about ourselves and it sounds more natural coming from the actual person. So I'm going to let her jump in here and just tell us about her, what her business is, maybe how she got into it, a story about herself, whatever you feel like sharing. It's pretty much open range for whatever you want to say right here. And there's no filters here. You can say whatever the hell you want. So don't worry about curses or anything like that. Let's just have fun. All right. Sounds good. You know, it's funny. I can tell that you're a fan because I did not prompt you on how to say my last name and you said it correctly. Because <laughs> <laughs> everyone else always says it wrong. Or they say Petri? Yes. yes. It drives me crazy. So, yeah. hey guys, I'm Amanda Goldman Petrie and I hate when you say my last name wrong. <laughs> <laughs> But everyone calls me AGP for short. So like Lauren here said, I run Market Like a Nerd, which is where we geek out about business and marketing strategies that maximize your profits while minimizing your efforts. And basically my story is I grew up in where I fondly call Bloody Moor Murderland. Otherwise... Okay, you need to go into that. <laughs> Otherwise known as Baltimore, Maryland. If you've seen The Wire, that's where I grew up. <laughs> so I grew up on a blue light district, which is basically like drug district in Baltimore, Maryland, to a drug addicted father, an abusive stepfather. Mom had bad choice in men. And I mm-hmm. learned at death, but it of course created a sort of a difficult way to grow up. And because of what I was experiencing at home, I really dug my head in books. I became a nerd, hence market like a nerd, because I was really convinced that if I just worked hard and I studied and I went to school and I got straight A's that I would be able to change my life and turn this all around and be successful. Well, I was like half right. <laughs> I dug my head in the books. I was valedictorian of every school that I went to. I got into one of the top 15 universities in the entire world, Johns Hopkins University, with a full ride scholarship. And the summer before I was entering college, I was like, yeah, I got this. <laughs> I get to go away and like turn my life around. And then the summer before I was entering college, I was walking across a highway and an 80-year-old man driving a minivan going around 50 or so miles an hour hit me while I was walking. So 
my body flew into the intersection. My head was about a foot away from being crushed by an 18 wheeler. And of course I spent a week in shock trauma, months learning to walk again, years coping with post-traumatic stress disorder. And that is when things really shifted for me. I realized, dang, Amanda, like your life kind of sucks. So (laughs) (laughs) I started focusing on me and my happiness and creating a life where next time when I'm faced with death, it's a life that I'm proud of, that I'm happy to leave behind. And long story short, within that journey, I found entrepreneurship. My first business, I was 21, not so hot. I made a little bit of money, but not a whole lot. My second business, I was 22. And within four months into it, I'd made my first $10,000 a month. Then because of that success, I became really well known in the coaching industry as a go-to virtual assistant. And one of this like big name coach, if I said her name, you guys would know, she approached me about joining, about creating a joint venture. So we created a joint venture business, which was my third business. Yeah. Entrepreneur whore. (laughs) Within four months of that business, we had already booked $150,000. And I was like, okay, cool. I think I've kind of proven this. I've now had two businesses that have been really, really successful. So I closed the doors to those, started my coaching business. And again, within 90 days, I had hit $120,000. Just recently, I did a little anti-launch and I made $562,000. So that's kind of my story from then until now. <laughs> You've done so much in such a young age. I am jealous. I wish I younger, but how life goes. You go to college, you get out, you get a job. And then it's like you're in your mid thirties with kids. And then you realize, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. So I was I- just talking to my clients about that. Cause I made a post in my client Facebook group about how success doesn't happen overnight. And like, I'm sorry if my work smarter approach you're smiling, I think, because you saw the post. <laughs> I put it in my free group too about how if I say you work smarter, I hope that doesn't make you think that there's no effort or that it can happen overnight. Here's everything I had to fail at and get through in order to be where I am today. And in the post, I said I was 26, and one of my clients was like, What? <laughs> 26? I'm old enough to be your mom. And I'm like, Everyone's old enough to be my mom. <laughs> <laughs> I love it though. I love that started young and who knows where you're going to end up in your life at the end of it. It's going to be amazing. So I definitely applaud you for that. It's awesome. And I think it's really going to have an effect on the way the younger generation, even younger than you right now, there's so many opportunities out there for people and the internet's been around for a long time, but we're finally starting to realize how we can utilize it to help us and to help our lives. And it's kind of what I'm really trying to get my daughter to understand. And she's going to be nine and she sees me working hard at this and really pushing forward. And I tell her it's because of you, I want to be around for you. And I want her to be able to do the same thing for her kids. So that's kind of my, a deeper why. And we all know why, why we're doing this. And it's really because of her. Before I had her, I knew I wanted to have kids one day and I knew I wanted to be around for them. So I've been thinking and trying and doing all sorts of things since I'm probably, I'm going to say 21, 22. So right about where you started, but yeah you've got some juicy stuff that we want to get into and I don't want to hold off anymore. So you gave me a bunch of options to pick from. And because of what I teach, which is podcasting, I think this is going to be really good for those who are just starting out and even some who have a show already 
because I've got this big network of podcasters and I really want to be able to help podcasters at any stage of their show or business. So I saw this one and this just screamed at me like, (laughs) yes, we must talk about this. It is how you quickly turned your young podcast, because it's not that old. Mm -mm. I know because I've listened to every episode, (laughs) (laughs) into consistently generating 10K clients. 10K plus clients. So, all right, what the hell are you doing? Let's get (laughs) into this. Share, share, share. This is exciting stuff. And yeah, um, yeah. I just, I want to know everything that you know. Like if I can just like kidnap you and bring you home to me (laughs) and lock you in my room and take your brain out, I would. (laughs) Do you live somewhere warm? Because that would be like the requirement. (laughs) Can I lie and say yes? (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) All right, cool. So yeah, I mean, so first I'll give you guys the story and then I'll give you the steps. Is that cool? Absolutely. Yes. Break it down. Break it down. Yeah. Here's the story. Okay. So my podcast is the Market Like a Nerd podcast. So it's named after the business, Market Like a Nerd. And I launched that podcast in like the very end of June, maybe even July of 2016. So at the time of recording this, that is what? July to August, August, September, September. (laughs) <laughs> that's eight months that eight months I can't remember I, I would have to do the same thing you just did <laughs> <laughs> but it's been generating income since October so July to August also September September October so three months <laughs> right three yes, months yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been generating income since three months after it was launched which is really crazy for most podcasters because most podcasters they are not generating money that quickly they're just not and often that's because they're waiting until they're at the right place to get sponsorships that's kind of like the go-to strategy for podcasters for how to monetize the podcast is they assume, hey, I'm just going to build up my downloads, I'm going to build up my listenership, and then I'm going to get some sponsors who are going to put some reels in for the sponsors and they'll pay me for it. And that's how I'll make money off of it because that's what Pat Flynn does. And that's what John Lee Dumas does. And that's what the Art of Charm does. And so we kind of model after those people. And originally, when I launched my podcast, the people I was modeling after was them. I was looking at them as kind of like the people who are leading the way in the podcasting industry. Yet I knew that that was really a long-term game. I went into it knowing if I want to make money off of sponsorships, that's not going to be for a while. So I've got to find a way to monetize it now because look, I ain't got time to be doing something that's not going to be making me money in my business. Right. So (laughs) I said that with such attitude. (laughs) I love it though. It's natural. (laughs) (laughs) I like making funny voices. (laughs) I don't know. Anyway, so I went into it with that mindset. Eventually, maybe I'll add sponsorships to it, but I know that's not going to make me money until the long run. So how do I monetize it right now? If I'm going to do it, it's got to make me money. So again, going along with the story, it took me 90 days. But in October, I started generating $10,000 plus sales from this podcast where people would schedule calls with me from the podcast. And I'll talk about how I did that in just a second. And then I would sell them into a high ticket offer. And I've had multiple people who, I kid you not, have found my podcast on a Monday, listened to the podcast, taken uh, action from the call to action, gone and scheduled a call with me. And then have gone on to buy the high ticket offer by Friday. So like in a one week time span, they've gone from brand new listener to buyer. And so that's kind of the story. In terms of 
how to do this in your business or how I did this in mine, the first tip here is really to understand the formula for how you make money first, and then you can plug podcasting into it, which is basically what I did. I understand how to make money, and then I plugged podcasting into the formula. So here's the formula. It's two steps. These are the only two steps you ever take when you're making money online. The first is you create an offer, and the second is you send traffic to it. All you ever need to make money are those two things, offers and traffic, offers and traffic. You have to have something to sell and you have to have people to sell it to. And the more traffic you have and the better the traffic is, the more money you're going to make. The better the offer is, the more money you're going to make. So the money that you make is directly dependent upon your offers and your traffic. So if you know that, if you know that that's how you make money, how do you plug the podcast into it? Well, the podcast isn't really an offer. (laughs) It's free you're not going to sell people on the podcast. So it's not the offer. What is it? It's the traffic. The podcast is the traffic source. So you use the podcast as a traffic source to send traffic to your offers. When you think about it that way, the way that you craft your podcast, the way that you promote the podcast, the intention behind the podcast totally changes. So for me, what that looked like was I wanted people to listen to these podcast episodes and then take action that would get them into my offers. So it looked like, so this, I guess, goes into step two. So first, understand that formula. The way that you make money is create an offer and then send traffic to it. And number two is in using the podcast as traffic, you want to look at your calls to actions at the end of all of your podcast episodes or at the beginning of your podcast episodes and make sure you're leveraging those calls to actions to move your listeners into taking action that gets them into your paid offers. Whether that means pitching a waitlist for an offer or directly pitching an offer or pitching a sales funnel where they go and they opt in for the free gift and then the sales funnel takes them into the paid offer or pitching a phone call. Your business model might vary. What your paid offer is might vary and how you get them into the paid offer might vary. But fundamentally, that's what you're looking at is how can you adjust that call to action so that it leads them towards the path into that paid offer. For me, what that looked like was in the beginning of this podcast, all I was doing was I was pitching people to go into my automated webinar funnel where they would go register for the webinar, ran every hour on the hour. They would listen while watch the webinar. At the end, I would pitch a phone call. They would then go and schedule the phone call, get on the phone and buy the high ticket offer. So that was what my call to action was because that was a funnel that I had tested incessantly and I knew that it worked. So I just used the podcast, the call to action to send traffic over to that automated webinar. So if you can really get those two things right, understand that the way you make money is create an offer, send traffic, and then leverage the podcast as traffic using the call to action to send traffic into your paid offer, you should be good to go. There were a couple other things that I did. You want me to talk about those? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Okay. So then because this is all about traffic, it's not about listenership. It's not about growing my downloads. I did things a little bit differently than the way that most podcasters do it. Most podcasters are all about sending traffic to iTunes. They just want to get their iTunes listenership up. They want to get their iTunes downloads up. Because that's the typical route to sponsorships. But again, I wasn't going after sponsorships. I was going after money right now, monetizing it right now, using it as traffic to go to offers. So what I do instead is I actually send them 
straight to the website page where they can listen to the episode on my website. And the reason why I do this goes back to tip number two, using your call to action. If I'm driving traffic to my iTunes podcast page, the only link that people can click on is the one in iTunes that says like podcast the website or go to the website. And it takes them directly to the website. It doesn't take them to my call to action unless I change it out every two seconds. But for the most part, it's just going to send them straight to my website. And they're not actually going to be going where I want them to go unless they listen to the web, they listen to the episode in iTunes and then they go and they manually type it in, which is a lot of work. And that's a lot to expect of someone. Yeah, I agree with you there because in the beginning, when I started Wine, I was sending them to iTunes. I'm like, this is not doing anything. No, it doesn't. You want to ultimately send them to your website so they can see everything on that website. You don't want to send them away from your website. This is to create traffic, like you said. Right. And after a while, I'm like, why am I doing this? Yeah, I actually have the same conversation with myself because when I first started, I did start doing iTunes because I was just doing what like the big podcasters say. You grow your iTunes downloads and then you get sponsorships later on. And then after like, I want to say it was like a week or two of doing this, I was like, this is stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, This does not make sense as a marketer. I'm a marketing expert. And I'm looking at this and I'm just like, this does not make sense. I am driving them away from my website. And when I give them a call to action on the podcast, they have to physically go into their computer or go into their phone and type it all out and remember it. That's not going to work. So, and me, like I really want my guests to love being on my show. So I want to do the best job getting them traffic, getting people to take action on their calls to actions too. So it's not just for me, it's also for them. And so I thought about it and I was like, if I send traffic to the episode on my website, my website is optimized so that when they're ready for the call to action, they can just click on it and go out to the page. So if you go to my website, marketlikeanerd.com forward slash podcast, you click to listen to any of those podcasts, you'll see there's the audio version of it. There's like the subscribe drop down where you can click and you can subscribe. If you scroll, there's the show notes. It says resources mentioned. Those are all clickable. You can just click to go out to them. And then there's at the bottom, there's my big call to action. So in addition to the speakers or the interviewees calls to action, mine is always at the end as well. And so if you scroll down the page, it's my featured resource for that episode, whatever is related, which in the beginning was just the automated webinar. I just made it relate to everything. So the website, they don't have to go and like type it in. It's there. They just have to click it and they get sent out to the landing page, the sales funnel, whatever, the sales page to go and take the action that I've asked them to take. So I kind of threw away the advice from a lot of the top podcasters who say to go for the iTunes downloads. And instead I went with what's going to get me the most amount of traffic. Do you want to hear something? I think you might really find this interesting. I listen to so many podcasts in the morning when I'm at work and oh my God, I don't even remember which one it was, but I listen to a lot of podcasts on podcasting because I just like to get the latest thing, what's going on. There was this one that he did a test to see the effectiveness of iTunes and how it can spike your downloads mm-hmm. as opposed to any other directory. I think you're going to find this one interesting if you don't know it already. So he started a new show just as a test, so didn't use his regular show. 
And he didn't put it in iTunes right away. He just did the regular promoting in himself on two platforms. I think he said Facebook and Twitter. And that was really it. And he said his little show in the beginning, he said he got like 30 downloads a day or something like that. And then he decided, I think a month later, to put it in iTunes and to see what the spike was. There was no spike at all. (laughs) Nothing. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I noticed that I got more downloads when I didn't go to iTunes. And I think it was largely because not all of my followers use iTunes. And if you send people, like if you give people the link to iTunes, it has to like open up in the computer Mm -hmm. and then like kind of load. And in some cases, iTunes is wonky. So like they'll click on the link, they'll go to iTunes and then it still won't load. So they have to go and like type it in their browser to go and go to the episode. But with the website, you just click it, go straight there. And actually I had a lot of my followers who would come to me and say, do you have this available on some other platform? Because I don't use iTunes. So I actually got more downloads when I switched to just doing website call to action than giving them the iTunes link. So I'm not surprised at all. Yeah. It's interesting though, because I mean, podcasting started with Apple and iTunes. So you would think that it would be the most effective. And I do think it's the biggest one, but people aren't necessarily going to that to find shows people who are crazy about podcasts like me, this is where I search for things, but I don't necessarily listen to them in iTunes. I listen to them in different directories or people's websites and ones that I really like. Like I listen to your show through your website or through Stitcher, not through iTunes because I mean, the podcast (laughs) icon on the phone is kind of screwy sometimes. Yeah. So I go to other places and I found Stitcher. So Yeah, it's not about the iTunes, but I think it's just another directory, really. And it's the biggest and it's the first. That's really all I think that it has. It's got a lot to offer, yeah. But I just found that really interesting. Yeah, it is. I mean, and that's really how I treat it. I treat it like it's just another directory. I'm going to have my show on it for sure. I'll have it like update every time an episode goes out. I'll have it update. But really, predominantly, the way that I'm sending traffic is to the website so that people can listen to the podcast on there, hear my call to action, scroll, click on the call to action, go to my sales funnel, then get on the phone with me, and then buy my high ticket offer from there. That's such an easier way to monetize the podcast than having to wait years and years and years for me to get tons of downloads on iTunes and then hope that I find a sponsor. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree with you because I'm not about the sponsorship either. I'm really not. It's just not something that ever sat with me right because I felt like I had to just climb through all these hoops to get something that wasn't going to be as effective as I would hope it would be. Yeah. Not knocking it, just not for me. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, maybe in the future I will end up doing sponsorships, but like I said, that's a long game. If you want money in the short term, which is what I'm good at, I'm good at the cash injection, then you've got to look at the podcast as a traffic source and use it to go into your paid offers. Now, if I had to say like, what's the hardest part about this model, it's making sure that you have a call to action, a sales funnel that is actually going to work. Because for me, I had already redone my automated webinar like five times before I used it in my podcasting. I knew that my sales funnel worked because I had tested it on my list. I had tested it to Facebook ads. I had already made money from that funnel before. So it was just a matter of sending traffic to it. 
So that's probably the hardest part of this model. I'll be totally honest, like creating the podcast, pretty easy, understanding traffic plus offers, pretty easy, sending like promoting your podcast to your website versus iTunes. That's pretty easy. The hardest part of this formula is having a sales funnel that you can include the call to action for in your podcast episode that gets them into the paid offer. So if you'd like, I can share a little bit about how to do that. Yeah, that would be great. That would definitely be great because I know those are the types of things that I personally struggle with is Mm -hmm. the sales funnel. And when it comes to all of that marketing type stuff, my brain just kind of like goes... I don't want to learn about that. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Well, the first thing to understand about sales funnels is that there is going to be testing and tweaking that's going to go into getting them perfect. Because with any sales funnel, there's a lot of places where you can lose money. There's a lot of places where you can lose leads. So like mine was an automated webinar funnel. So people have to opt into the landing page, then they have to show up, then they have to stay until the end, then they have to go to my scheduling calendar, then they have to come onto the call and they have to actually buy from the call. So all of those places, all of those actions, those are all places where you can lose people. So those are all places that have to be working just right in order for the entire funnel to work. So as you can imagine, you have to get a little inattentive. Mm -hmm. and get every single solitary piece working right. So it does take testing. Like I said, I redid my webinar five times before it actually made me money, before I made all of my money back. I think I had to spend like $2,000 in Facebook ads just to get the webinar working so that you know, I knew it was perfect and I could just send traffic to it to make money back. So just know that first. Know that first and foremost about sales funnels. Now, because of that, what I recommend is you build up your list first And then you test the sales funnel with your mailing list. That way you don't have to waste Facebook ads on a funnel that doesn't work like I did. (laughs) (laughs) So if you build up your mailing list, you can just send the sales funnels to your mailing list and your mailing list serves as the traffic going through the funnel and you see if it works. And if it doesn't work for your mailing list, which is usually warmer traffic, you can be pretty certain it's not going to work with cold Facebook advertising traffic. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, so build up your mailing list first, then create the sales funnel, launch it to your list. If it works, great. You can send Facebook ad traffic to it. You can put a call to action in all of your podcasts and have the podcast traffic go to it. If it doesn't, you've got to tweak it, then relaunch it to the list, tweak it, relaunch it to the list until it works, and then you can send all of the traffic in the world that you want to it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I can see you've been through a lot and tested a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I don't call myself a marketing nerd for no reason. (laughs) Yeah, right? You must really love this stuff. Definitely really love this stuff. This has all been great stuff. And I like it simple. And you explained it very simple. Can you just run through it one more time? Sort of like a, just sum it up. Quick recap? uh, Yeah, quick recap. That would be awesome. Absolutely. Okay, cool. So, First, in order for you to monetize your podcast without sponsorships, you want to understand and monetize anything, honestly, in your business. You want to understand how to make money, period. The way you make money is two steps. You create an offer and then you send traffic to it. So when you look at how to plug podcasting into that formula, the podcast is the traffic. So you use the podcast in the form of the call to action at the end of the podcast to send traffic to those offers, whether that's going directly to the sales page, a phone call or a sales funnel like what I was talking about, one way or the other, in that call to action, you send traffic to that paid offer. Now, because all of this depends upon 
one, getting traffic into the podcast and then getting the podcast listeners to take action in the call to action, I highly recommend that instead of sending your listeners to iTunes, you send them to your website where it's easier for them to click on the call to action. You want them to listen, hear your call to action, click on the button, and then go out to whatever the funnel is. Yeah, makes complete sense. All right, cool. Very cool. You just make it so simple. You really do. Like, <laughs> I don't really know what else to ask you because I feel like we've gone through everything. And I love that. Is there anything else that you want to add? Well, I will tell people that I think when you're just starting out, automated webinar funnels are probably the easiest ones to do. Like, there's a lot of people out there who teach sales funnels, like Russell Brunson, Stephanie Nikolich, who else? I can't remember. Uh, Ryan Dice. There's a lot of people out there who teach sales funnels. So, there's a whole bunch of one. There's like, automated video funnels, automated challenges, tripwire funnels. I don't know. Lots of them. There's lots of different funnels. I've tried nearly all of them. And what I can tell you is the automated webinar funnels, there's a reason why there's so many people teaching them. And it's because they really, really work. And they're a lot easier to get right than some of these other ones. Like if you think about it, like I said, there's all these holes where you can lose people there's actually less holes in an automated webinar funnel than there is in say like a video funnel where you have three videos, like the Jeff Walker model, I think it's like three or four videos and then you launch something at the end of it. Yeah. And there's so many places where you can lose people in those because they have to go through so many videos and so many steps. Same thing with challenges. There's like a wave of people right now who are talking about challenges, like five to seven day challenges. And let me tell you, they are not making anywhere near as much money as I am. (laughs) I think part of the reason, I know part of the reason, because I've ran challenges before and there's just a fundamental flaw with those funnels. And it's that there are so many holes. There are so many places for you to lose people. It's almost impossible to perfect the funnel unless you are just constantly tweaking it. So the webinars, they have the least amount of holes. It's one of the shortest funnels that you can do besides maybe like a tripwire. So they are the types of funnels that I would start with. Get really, really good at them. Like an automated webinar funnel that leads into a phone call. That is the easiest funnel to start with. And if you can master that, then you've got that experience under your belt. And then you can go and you can tackle some of the more complicated ones. Yeah, that makes sense. That definitely makes sense. Because I know I like the video series thing, but then you kind of forget about it. You get into your day and you're like, oh shit, I missed that one. Oh well. You (laughs) kind of forget why you were there in the first place because there's so much information coming through. I actually use the video ones in a very different way than a lot of marketers do. Like I said, the Jeff Walker style is you release one video, then I think like a day later you release the next and it's three videos and then you send them to your sales page or whatever. I do those at the end of my webinars. So if I don't make money off of my webinar, then I send them into the videos. And every single video has a call to action. Every single one does. Because the real issue with challenges and webinars is there's no call to action until the end. And by then you've lost like 90% of the people who have gone through it. But if you have a call to action all the way through, after day one, there's going to be some people who are ready. After day two, there's going to be some people who are ready. After day three, there's going to be some people who are ready. So you get them as they're ready. You want to get them when they're excited. Yeah, get them while they're hot. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Damn, girl, you know this shit. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Yeah. I have one more question for you. Since this is teaching, you know, getting people to... No, you're going to answer this. I don't care. (laughs) As a new podcaster, because I do interview podcasters to help others learn. Sure. I just want you to give me 
maybe something that was challenging for you when you started your podcast, mm. maybe something that you were completely lost on, or maybe you get to the point where you just wanted to throw your computer across the room, <laughs> something like that. Like what was something that came hard to you as someone starting a podcast? Yeah. Period. So two things. Can I cheat a little and give you two instead of one? Absolutely. All right, cool. So the first, we were talking about this a little bit beforehand was audio because I really, really wanted it to sound great. You know, I was listening to Pat Flynn and John Lee Dumas and they are complete audio nerds. And I'm sorry, but I could not understand how to use, God, what is that mic that they use? I can't remember. They've got some like really complicated mic and I just was not, that was not happening. Mm -hmm. So I went through three different mics and I had this one podcast editor at first who like, I wanted to strangle him because every time I would record something, he'd be like, no, the audio is not good enough. And I have to go and record it. And he'd be like, no, the audio is not good enough. I'm like, damn it. It sounds the same. <laughs> like, or no, then he would be like, oh no, that audio is better. And I'd be like, it was the same thing. Like it was the same thing. Come on. Like making this up. So getting the audio right was something that was very aggravating for me at first. And I think ultimately it came down to just getting really good equipment. Like at first I had a Blue Yeti and it was just not good. It was not good audio for me with the Blue Yeti. Then I got the ATR2100 and that was really good. And now I have the Rode microphone. This is even better. So that really helped. And then the other thing that helped was just not caring. Just like, I mean like caring, but not really. You know, like kind of releasing myself from the perfection yes. of <laughs> like, it has to be perfect audio. So that was the first struggle. The second struggle was just handling the amount of content that I was creating and staying on schedule with it. I am a content whore. I like creating content, but I did find the podcast to be the most amount of effort that I've ever put into content before. Like I said, I wanted to really go all out and do it the right way. So I wanted to have like a really nice podcast website and I wanted to have show notes and timestamps and recommended resources and all of that stuff. But what that meant was I needed an editor and I needed a transcriptionist and I needed a graphic designer and I needed a podcast publisher. And it just turned into all of these people I had to hire in order to just like get a podcast released and it really, the time just really, really stacked up. And actually recently, I decided that I'm releasing myself from the management of the podcast because it's just, it's too much to manage with the amount of people that we're interviewing, with the quality of people that we're interviewing, with the amount of tasks that we have that go into creating high quality podcasts is too much for me to manage myself. So I hired a podcast manager. She's full-time. I'm paying her 4000 a month, but damn it, I don't have to do anything anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that is totally awesome. I love that. Yeah, there's a lot that goes into it if you want it to be almost, I don't really like to use the word, but perfect in a way. I wanted it to be quality. I wanted to have a podcast that would become known that people would remember. And by all accounts, I think I succeeded. Obviously, I have very, very loyal listeners. I make sales from the podcast and it's only been around for a few months. I've been listed in multiple, not directories, like, like featured lists for like top podcasts for creative entrepreneurs, top podcasts to listen to in 2017, those types of things. So I think I accomplished the goal. I just underestimated how much effort would go into it. But yeah, I think that's probably the way to put it is I underestimated how much effort would go into the podcast. 
Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Especially Actually, when you are like the stage that you are in your business. Oh, that was the other thing. I started out with three episodes a week. Then I went to two episodes a week and now I'm at one episode a week. Yeah. <laughs> so because I went into it wanting it to be like this really grand thing, I was like, of course I have to publish often. I have to publish three times a week because everyone else is publishing five times a week, which is a total like, it's not true. (laughs) I just told myself that story. And what I should have done is I should have gone in originally just doing one episode a week and then gotten consistent with that so that it didn't drive me crazy and increased from there, which that would have been a much, much smarter way of doing it. I did the complete opposite. I went in trying to do three a week. Then I went to two a week. Now I'm at one a week and I'm like solid. I'm like three months ahead in my schedule now. So (laughs) that's awesome though. Yeah. It's hard when you have so much to say because I mean, you get one piece of content and then you can just break it down and break it down and break it down and break it down. And it just doesn't ever stop. Ever. (laughs) Really doesn't. I know every time I have a thought, I'm like, oh, the podcast, another thought. So I think about how many thoughts you have a day, right? How many (laughs) thoughts you have a day related to your business or your passion or whatever it is. And then you just want to talk about everything. Yeah. It's never ending. I have found that interviews are easier for that reason. Interviews are easier than doing the solo shows because with the solos, you literally do have to be coming up with content all the time. But interviews, it's on them to come up with the content and then you just kind of weave your expertise into it. And that's my one show a week is now only interviews for that exact reason. My content, I am only teaching through like my signature free gifts and then my signature videos. If you want to learn from me and learn my strategies and my philosophies about marketing, then you're going to watch my signature stuff. And then the podcast is going to be other experts. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And it still gives you that platform to yeah, obviously sell, which is the reason for it. So that's so cool. That's so cool. But yeah, I, I had to get that in there because I know you're still new at this and people want to hear what everyone else is struggling with. Oh, and yeah. You know, everyone has their own struggles, but I find a lot of people struggle with the same types of things and perfection is definitely one of them, which is why I like to teach it a simple way. And then (laughs) after their shows up, they can change it and do more research or come to me and ask questions and just go crazy with it and really, really make it into something amazing. You know, you put the perfect word on it, which was perfection. So in both of those examples, that's what it was. I wanted the audio to be perfect and I wanted the podcast in general to be perfect. So I was trying to go just like above and beyond and do all these super unnecessary things and do way more content than I really had to because I wanted it to be perfect. And when I realized that, I released myself of the the perfection and now it's still a great quality and Mm -hmm. I still have great listeners and I still make sales from it and I'm doing less work now. (laughs) Yeah, what's your all about? right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's so funny because when I first started my show, I kind of gave up the perfection when I graduated from college because I went to FIT, Fashion Institute in New York York City. And that kind of killed my want to be perfect thing because I was in design and I didn't care enough to make it perfect like everyone else did. Does that make sense? Like all the designers, they wanted everything to be perfect. I'm like, I don't really care if it's perfect. And then when I got into doing this types of stuff, I didn't have any, and I still don't have any problem hitting publish when I know it's not perfect. I just don't care. So my very first episode, if anyone's to go back and listen to it, the audio sounds great because I had the original microphone 
But like the content was just sort of me getting on there and, and talking and I don't even remember what it's about. I just <laughs> started talking. I hit publish and I was like, oh, this is great. I'm going to do more and more and more. And it's come a long way, but I still don't strive for perfection. I strive for certain areas that I want to be really good. And for me, that is something that I can help someone with because I can put it into perspective for them. Why would you want it perfect? And the reason I say is no one else really cares, but you as much as you do. Well, I don't know if I would say the reason why I've released myself of the perfectionism is because I don't care anymore. I do care. Like I care about my listeners. I care about my community. I care about the quality. I I care about my work. The thing is, I am more relaxed in the process of completing the work now because I realize there are just certain things that are out of my control and there are certain things that in the grand scheme of things, they won't matter that much. Like a great example of this is, I want to say it was like a month or so ago, I sent out an email to my mailing list and it had like two typos in it. And I just like, instead of saying past P-A- S-T. I said P-A-S-S-E-D. So I just had like the wrong version of the word. And I had someone message me back, like email me from my newsletter in response to it and point out that I had typos. And I just wanted to be like, thanks, but like, okay. And and it's not that that subscriber is not important to me. She is, but I'm sorry, but the spelling of the word pass is not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. It's really not. It's not. (laughs) (laughs) So having that perspective has been really, really helpful for me in my business for these exact scenarios where I need to release myself from the anxiety of things being perfect and just recognize that it's not always going to be perfect and that's okay. Right. It's okay. It's so true. We put ourselves through so much and it's just not necessary. We want to have fun. We want to do what we love to do and trying to be perfect is not fun. Yeah. (laughs) It's really not fun. Oh my God, Amanda. So this was fun. We got, I think, so much more out of it than I ever expected. So tell us where, like, if you can, and I know the answer to this, but I want everyone else to know. The one place we can find you because I don't like to send people all over the place. So what is the one place that you want everyone to go to find out all of your stuff? Yeah, the absolute best place to find me is in my free Facebook group, the Market Like a Nerd official group, which if, I mean, if you just go to Facebook and you type in Market Like a Nerd, you'll find it. But the quick link to it is marketslikeanerd.com forward slash Facebook. And that will redirect you to the group where you just click request to join and we'll add you in. It's free. I'm in there mingling pretty much every day. Lauren's in there causing trouble all the time. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's a nice place to kind of geek out about business and marketing and have fun with other nerds who are trying to make money in their businesses too. Yeah, definitely is. Definitely is. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for being here and doing this. I really appreciate it. I had a ton of fun. And I actually got to talk to you face-to-face for the first time. That was fun. That was fun. But yeah, thank you for being here. And uh, I will see you in the group. Sounds good. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you got tons of useful information out of the show today. If you want to grab the resources and links that you have heard in the show, you can go to the blogcast section on my website at thelaurengene.com 
Or if you just want to listen to the Pretty Pod Player, you can check out the podcast tab on the website. Again, that's www.thelaurengene.com. Talk to you guys next week.